Let's now turn to the reading of the Word of God. Our scripture reading will begin in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, yes, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, Cry out! And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our, our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with, is with Him, and His work before Him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So far, the reading from Isaiah. Let's also turn to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 3. Luke 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 17. Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness." And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down, and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has has food, let him do likewise. 
Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So far, the reading of God's word. Uh, The text that we'll be focusing on is the same text that we read from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, The structure of the sermon will largely uh, follow through that text, so if you uh, would like an outline, uh, just look at Isaiah 40 and you'll have one. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we anticipate the birth of Jesus Christ, or to celebrate the birth of Christ in just a few days, it would be appropriate for us, a couple weeks out yet, to stop and reflect on what it actually means to wait for, to wait for Him, to wait for the Lord Jesus. What's involved in this waiting? Now, of course, we should get this out of the way. We're not waiting for the birth of Jesus in the same way that the saints of old were waiting, because we know He has already come more than 2,000 years ago now. Uh, But our purpose here this morning is is to prepare our hearts, or or rather to let God prepare our hearts so that we may remember his birth and celebrate his birth with the right frame of mind and with the right posture of glad worship. Uh, We want to be able to celebrate remembering what it is we are truly celebrating and why it matters. And that takes a certain degree of preparation. Uh, The great message uh, of this prophecy that we just read from Isaiah 40 is that there is a proper way to prepare for the Lord. Uh, And even though that prophecy came uh, before the coming of Christ, and we now stand 2,000 years after the coming of Christ, yet for us too, the, the message of this text remains one and the same and remains just as serious as ever. There is a call to prepare the way for the Lord. That's what we want to reflect on this morning. Now you'll notice there are four different voices in our text. These will be, you can think of them as the four points of the sermon. Uh, first in verses 1 and 2, there is a voice of comfort, a voice of a comforter speaking tender words to Jerusalem. Then in verses 3 through 5, there's the voice of a prophet calling out, prepare the way for the Lord. Then in verses 6 through 8, there's the voice of a teacher reminding us that the nations are all like grass. This is the, the, the classic example of the, or the classic expression of the wisdom literature of Scripture. And then finally, in the end, there is the voice of a herald, one who goes up to proclaim good news. So let's stop and listen to each of these voices. The text begins with comfort 
And there's a good reason it begins with comfort. If you read the rest of Isaiah's prophecy, if you read this in context, you'll see that at the time that this prophecy was given, the people of God were just about to head into some very, very dark days. Uh, Up until this point in the book of Isaiah, uh, there have been endless words of judgment and condemnation. Uh, Constant, over and over. God's wrath, God's anger, calling out the sin of His people and proclaiming judgment, proclaiming exile. Uh, And so the voice that you hear before this text is the voice of a judge. The voice that reads out the charges and said, I find you guilty and the sentence will be very, very great. Uh, And so as the charges, as you're reading through Isaiah, you just sense that the charges just keep coming. It's one uh, after another. Uh, And as a reader even, you're just utterly exhausted. I can't hear anymore. I can't hear. I can't listen to this any longer. All the things that we've done to deserve the wrath of God. We're exhausted. We can't listen any longer. And you can almost just picture uh, the defendant uh, standing in his place in the courtroom, hearing all the charges read read out, and and his knees just buckling under him, uh, unable to bear it anymore. Well, that's the context for this prophecy, and that's where we hear these words of comfort. It's, It's then that this Comfort suddenly breaks in and and God says, comfort, comfort my people, thus says our God. Uh, Now, uh, in uh, the version here, uh, you you miss something that was in the original King James, the the original King James, uh, the first English translation, um, which which is comfort ye, perhaps you remember this from the, the hymn, comfort ye, my people. And there's a reason the ye was there, uh, because it's a plural command. It's not just a, a God telling one person, or like Isaiah, go and comfort the people, but he's speaking to all of the leaders of God's people. Uh, you, you get the sense that, that God is calling the leaders of his people together, uh, the elders, the priests, the prophets, all those who speak to the people saying, now is the time to speak words of comfort. Uh, there, there's, it's like he's saying to the leaders, if you know what's coming for my people, you will know there's nothing they're going to need to hear more than comfort at this time. Uh, now this, this comfort is a forward-looking comfort. From where Isaiah is standing, uh, certainly he cannot say the warfare is ended. In fact, it's about to begin Uh, But it's a forward-looking comfort that looks beyond the judgment that's coming to a day when it will all be over. And God God wants His people to know that. It will end. There will be an end to the judgment. When you are broken, uh, when your sin and pride is finally gone, then you uh, you will know comfort. There will be comfort for you on the other side. And so God now says, speak ye tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has already received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now the precious message right at the heart of of this word of comfort is that when God disciplines, 
even when he disciplines severely, he does so with the purpose of bringing pardon, with the purpose of ultimately being able to comfort and bring an end to the discipline. Now, lest we should think as we're reading through the prophets that God is just angry all the time uh, and just reads out the charges for no other purpose than to condemn, uh, we should recognize that God's heart towards His people is to forgive, is to bring an end to the misery and to restore. Uh, Though God would be just to condemn, uh, and though He does in this same prophecy condemn the surrounding nations, yet His purpose for His own people is to be able, though to chasten them, ultimately to comfort them when the sin is broken and the rebellion is gone. So there's the voice of comfort. But with that voice, there comes a voice of warning, uh, the voice of a prophet. If God is going to come and deliver His people, uh, that, may be, that should be a comforting thought for those who have been brought low. Uh, It's a comfort for those who are ready to be comforted. Uh, For those on whom the discipline has had its effect. But make no mistake, if God is coming, then woe to any who should still not be ready to hear those words of comfort. Woe to any who should stand in His way. And that's where the second voice comes in, this voice of the prophet crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Let's read those verses, verse 3 through 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This image of mountains being brought low uh, is actually one of the great themes of the book of Isaiah. Uh, In fact, right in the very beginning in chapter 2, we're already introduced to this idea. Uh, Isaiah 2 verse 12, The Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall. So this is a a theme you see if you read through Isaiah from front to back. You see this idea coming back again and again. God is bringing low the proud and lofty mountains. Now you see it especially uh, following chapters 40 uh, through the next section there, 40 through 49, uh, this, this image. And the mountains and high places, the uplifted hills or high towers, uh, they represent the pride and the power of man. It includes both the pride and loftiness and greatness of the nations, uh, the, the, the uh, empires of Assyria and Babylon and Egypt were full of themselves, full of their pride. You can still see that today. If you read the annals, those that have survived uh, the years, they're constantly filled with boasting in their own greatness and their own might. Uh, and so this, these uplifted hills include not just the, the, the power and might of the nations, uh, but also, you see in Isaiah, it, it represents the pride and the obstinacy of God's own people 
which is the real shocking thing. It's one thing for the nations to be proud and lifted up. It's another thing for the people of God to be the same way. And that's clearly what it's referring to in in chapter 2 when it speaks of the lofty pride of man who dares to craft his own gods. Uh, The fortified walls as well. You get this image of these these walls that people have set up to prevent God from speaking to them. The walls of of the hardness of the human heart that, that just resist and oppose every effort by God to break through to speak those words of comfort. And so now as Isaiah looks forward to this day of comfort, he hears a voice of warning. When the Lord does come, even though he comes to deliver and to comfort, he will on his way flatten out and demolish every high hill and mountain, every heart that still remains proud, that is still raised up against him to stand and oppose him. And so he comes and watch out in that day, in the day of the Lord, that your heart not be one of those lofty mountains, high and lifted up in opposition to God. Make way for the coming of the Lord. Do not dare to stand in God's way. The real message here is be broken by God's discipline now so that you may be comforted on the day that he comes. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed all flesh will see it. And some of that flesh will rejoice at the comfort that it brings uh, because it's been formerly chastened and disciplined. But some of it will tremble in fear. And so we hear a third voice, the voice of uh, wisdom, the voice of a teacher. Uh, verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and it's all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And you ask, why does this voice come? Why, is, why do we need to hear this, the voice of a teacher? Well, the reason it's fitting for us to hear this voice is because if you were standing in the shoes of the Israelites, looking out at those lofty mountains that we just mentioned, it might be hard to believe that God can actually flatten those mountains out, bring them low. Look at the might of the nations. Who are we, this puny little nation of Israel? caught between Egypt on the one side, Assyria on the other. Uh, Who are we and who is our God to dare to stand and oppose these great nations? Well, here you need to hear the voice of wisdom. Look at those nations. And you know what that is? It's grass. It's flowers that fade just as quickly as they bloom. Uh, The voice of wisdom says uh, they stand for a moment and then the breath of the Lord blows on them and they're gone. They're gone. Why be so afraid of the nations if all flesh is grass? This is one of the most often repeated themes of of Scripture. Only the fool who cannot see puts his trust and his hope in man. Only the fool fears the power and might of man. From the perspective of heaven, you see how fleeting Uh, The power of man is how powerless even the mighty nations truly are. Uh, How quickly fading these great empires are. Uh, They flourish like grass. Their beauty captivates you for that short time while it lasts. 
but it fades as quickly as it comes. When the breath of the Lord blows, it vanishes. And history shows the truth of it, doesn't it? Where's the great empire of Babylon now? Uh, uh, the, 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 the empire that caused so many people to tremble, that caused so much terror on the earth. Where's that empire now? Uh, well, you can actually go and see it. You can go see the old city of Babylon still today, and, and there's nothing there but ruins. There's a few tourism shops, things like that. For the rest, it's ruins. It's there in the middle of a wasteland. It's perished, and it's vanished, and it's gone. So the question is, why do we fear the power of man? Indeed, why do we fear the power of man so much that we are willing to disobey the voice of the Lord out of fear for the power of man? That's what Israel was doing. And so the whole purpose of this entire vision in, in chapter 40, both the words of comfort, uh, also the words of warning, and here the words of wisdom, and, and as we'll see in a moment, the words of triumph, uh, are to remind us, in the day when the Lord comes, when, the, when all flesh beholds the glory of God and these mighty mountains are brought low, uh, on that day we will all realize how frail and fragile we are even the mightiest nations, and how great and abiding is the purpose and the word of the Lord. On that day, we'll see who is truly mighty. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord, the purposes of God stand forever. The plans of God never fail. We see this in uh, Luke as well. Luke does a wonderful job uh, in, in, in the first chapters of the Gospel of Luke of painting this picture describing who was who was the emperor who was the caesar at that time who was the governor reigning in in israel uh, and and where does the king of the nations come in into this little manger laid in a manger uh, the most humble of places and yet there the plans and purposes of god are fulfilled over against all the might and power of the nations and so we hear a fourth voice, the voice of a herald. Verse 9, go on, a, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. At the end of it all, uh, when the discipline is over, when God gets to speak those words of comfort to his people, on that day it will be a day of great rejoicing, a, a day of celebrating the triumph of our God. Uh, so the day when the Lord comes, it's a day of, of triumph and victory, uh, a day of good news for which the heralds go up to, to proclaim the good news to the world. It's good news for those who've been chastened, for those who've been hoping for the day of the Lord, waiting for that day. It's bad news for those who haven't been waiting for that day. It's bad news for the mountains, for those who are opposing Him. Uh, the message to those who are waiting is, in verse 9, uh, it's not uh, tremble before God, it's behold your God. Behold your God. This mighty God is for you. 
He's with you who hope in him. The mighty God who avenges evil, who gives every sinner his due, his recompense, his reward for his works. That God does not come to condemn. He is with you. He is your God for you who hope in him. In a sense, I suppose the proper way to express this is not so much that that God is for you as that God has brought you to be for him. God has brought you onto his side uh, by his grace if indeed the chastening has had its proper effect. Uh, But the end of the matter is the same for those who, who hope in him alone. He is not just the God, he is your God with you and for you. Behold, it says, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. In the book of Isaiah, uh, this arm keeps coming back as well. Uh, The arm of the Lord everywhere else is is a clear reference to the Messiah, uh, the promised Savior, the Son of God, uh, who is the King who will reign on David's throne. Uh, And so that's how we should probably understand the arm as it comes to us in this passage as well. It's not just referring to God's power in in a poetic fashion, uh, but it's clearly referring to the rule and reign of the the Messiah, son of David. Uh, And that Messiah, that arm of the Lord, not only rules as king, uh, but but also, uh, here's the message of comfort, he rules as a shepherd. A shepherd who gathers his sheep, who tends them, who cares for them, uh, who even gathers them into his arms and carries them in his bosom. Uh, now this gives us some indication as well of the, the kind of coming that, that we should have in view here. Uh, we'd be easily misguided if we read this prophecy in Isaiah 40 uh, and, and we're expecting some sort of literal flattening out of the mountains. We're expecting God to, to literally uh, bulldoze things flat uh, or, or some sort of earth-shaking appearance of God. Uh, that's not what Isaiah is looking forward to in this text. This is metaphorical. This is symbolic language. Uh, it's like what you find in, in so much of the, the prophets and indeed much of the New Testament as well. Uh, and it's referring to the coming of the kingdom of God, the birth of the Savior. Uh, that will be an earth-shattering kingdom Uh, Think of the fact that here we are 2,000 years later, Gentiles, nations, people who are far off, who've been brought near. That kingdom has, uh, in many ways, shattered and broken this earth. Uh, But if you're looking for literal mountains to start falling, uh, or a literal highway to form through through the desert, uh, you'd be missing the point, uh, just as we'd be uh, missing the point if we were looking for a literal shepherd carrying literal sheep in his arms. Uh, What it's doing here is he's speaking of something greater in symbolic and visual terms. Uh, The scriptures here are preparing us for the coming of Christ and the kingdom that he brings with him. This is what uh, even the wise men, uh, pagans as they were, the wise men that that came and visited uh, the Lord Jesus, uh, what they recognized when they saw the star above Bethlehem, uh, they saw that as a a very significant event in the world. Uh, They they recognized that can only mean the birth of the king uh, and the beginning of a new kingdom. 
And that's really what Isaiah is looking forward to. The birth of the king and with him the beginning of a new kingdom. This is what John the Baptist also recognized when he was sent out by God into the wilderness of Judea uh, preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what John also saw. That's what this is all about. It's the kingdom of God coming to this world. And that's why he takes this very text on his own lips, uh, saying, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, what does all this mean for us? As we prepare to remember and to celebrate the birth of Christ, the message of God to the people of Judah then remains just the same as it is to us today. Even though we are 2,000 years down the road, uh, what we are anticipating and waiting for uh, is not simply the birth of the king, but the increasing coming of his kingdom. Uh, And that kingdom, uh, though it has come in some measure, is not done coming. Uh, That's why the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. Even though the kingdom of God is here, it is here in our midst. If we've experienced any of the peace and transformation uh, that, the, that the kingdom of God brings, which we have, uh, then the kingdom of God is here. Uh, and yet, uh, the kingdom of God is still coming. This is why we sing on Christmas, Joy to the world, the king is born. Let earth receive her king. And that's why the message then for us is exactly the same as it was uh, for them. Let every heart, if the king is here, if the kingdom is coming, let every heart prepare him room. Even though we live 2,000 years down the road, uh, as we remember and celebrate the birth of Christ, knowing what that means, we'll see the message is the same. We too, as the kingdom comes, must prepare the way of the Lord. We too must make his paths straight. Uh, that, that is, in the first place, a call to the whole world, a call for which we are to be the heralds. We are the ones to go up on Mount Zion proclaiming that, that this kingdom is coming. God is coming in all his might. Uh, his arm, Christ, rules for him. Jesus is the king. Uh, every force, every kingdom, every power that's opposed to that kingdom will fall. It will fail. The Lord Jesus said, the gates of Hades will not withstand the advance of my church. That's what, uh, again, what Christ taught us to to pray for. Your kingdom come. You think of how the catechism interprets that as well. Destroy every work, every power that, that stands and raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. In other words, uh, it's a prayer to God, flatten the mountains. Those that still oppose you, the loftiness of the pride of man, break it down that your kingdom may come. Uh, and so the message we proclaim here is in the first place a message to the whole world. Every mountain out there will be brought low. But lest we should fail to see it, it is a message to us as well, to the people of God as well. Because the image of of these mountains in the book of Isaiah uh, certainly does not only refer to the kingdoms and powers of the world around. It's also a way of speaking of the pride and loftiness of the heart of God's own people. Uh, Again, Isaiah 2, the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all 
that is lifted up and it shall be brought low. That, that won't just happen out there. That needs to happen in here as well. Uh, so what is the kingdom? Here's my question. What is the kingdom of Christ encountering as it comes to you? As it comes to your heart and to your life, to your home, what does the kingdom of God encounter there? Are there proud and lofty mountains that still have need of being brought low? Are there fortresses erected in your heart uh, and in your home that are still committed to defending and preserving your kingdom over against the kingdom of God? Are there fortified walls opposed to his coming? Well, make no mistake, brothers and sisters, every mountain that is high up uh, uh, will be brought low. Uh, one way or another, until the whole earth is leveled uh, and and the glory of the Lord covers the earth from sea to sea. And so as we go up on that high mountain heralding the the good news of Christ's kingship, the king is born, uh, are we ourselves also preparing the way for him? As his word reaches us day by day, does it find mountains of human pride that still need to be brought low? If so, Let God bring them low now. Uh, Let God bring down what needs to be brought down uh, so that we can rest uh, among those whom God comforts uh, so that we can be there to hear those words of comfort. Your sins are paid for. Your sins are covered. It's as if you've already received double for all of your sin. Uh, Let let us uh, even eagerly join the sheep the sheep that have the privilege of being gathered in the shepherd's arms and not the wolves that are beaten by his rod. You read Psalm 2 and it speaks of the rod of this shepherd also beating down uh, the nations. You see that in Micah 5 uh, as well. Uh, He doesn't simply come though to break down. He comes to save. Let us be among those who are saved and gathered. Uh, He comes to hold broken, repentant sinners very close to his own heart, to even lead those who are with young, to raise a a new generation, a new people in the fear of the Lord. So the day of the Lord in the book of Isaiah is not just a day of judgment for the proud and lifted up. Even more, it's a day of redemption. It's a day uh, of, uh, you think of Isaiah uh, 60, of of the blind receiving their sight, of the lame being hailed, uh, of chains being broken and prisoners set free. That's what the kingdom of God that we celebrate is all about. A day when those who are humbled are brought to repentance, but then also comforted and lifted up, where valleys who are low get to be raised and exalted. So rejoice at his coming, and brothers and sisters, prepare him room. Amen.